I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, hello there. I'm your host, Simon Wams here. What are my writers? In this case, Matt. Thank you. Matt writes me a script. This one is Nanny Doss, the giggling granny. People have mentioned this to me on Twitter. They're like, this is one of those ones that comes up. People are like, when are you doing this one? When are you doing this one? You know, and I'm like, normally I've heard of them. You're like, oh, yeah, Ted Bundy, you know, of course. Yeah, he's, yeah we're going to do him. We just did. I mean, this will be like months ago because we're so far ahead with the recording. But it was like, when are you doing Gacy? I'm like, boom, three hours and 50 minutes on Gacy. You're welcome. That went out last week. People like it. I'm pleased. YouTube were also like, yeah, sure, we'll monetize that. I say, YouTube, why are you such a mystery? Like, it's literally a video, a three hour, 15 minute video about a guy who dresses as a clown and buries children in his basement. And YouTube, like, yeah, 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 no worries. That's advertiser friendly. And then you'll make a video about, like, some obscure history of anything to do with and i'm not going to say the word earlier and uh, so early in this video but uh an authoritarian regime that arose up in germany in the 1930s and they're like no 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 that's not okay that's youtube why is such a mystery just make it clear to me what works and what doesn't work and we'll all be happy because i'm making that gacy video that's three hours and 15 minutes long and i'm just like this is just gonna be the only way that this could ever be good for like the business side of my my youtube career is that more people will discover the casual criminalist from the gacy video watch the other stuff which is just slightly more advertiser friendly but youtube's like nah it's all good man it's all good advertisers like coke yeah they love advertising on videos about child murderers they love it they're not really allegedly blah 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 anyway let's get on sorry enough waffling it's monday morning for me I feel like I've lost a shower i was off last week had the flu it was horrible i was basically in bed for the whole week anyway cracking on romance is something all of us hope for but when one becomes obsessed with romance whether it be in real life or through outlets like television and movies or in this instance sappy romance novels it can lead to expectations so high that they become impossible to reach that in a greedy streak is oh ella's potential brain damage and you get a lethal combination that isn't fun for anyone one of I, sorry, I know we're a paragraph in. I do want to go on very, very quick uh, tangents. Paradoxes, super interesting. And this is like another one. It's like when you watch too much TV and read too many romance novels, you build, you get like unrealistic expectations. Just don't do it. Don't, don't let those expectations get too high. Like one, once I was, I've now bought a house, but I was looking for a house for like a year and a half. It's just such an ongoing mission. And the more places you see, the more you're like, well, that place had a great garden. So I want a great garden. That place had a pool. So I want a pool. And then the, it's like, that place was in a great location. And you start off being like reasonable expectations. And then the more places you see, the more things get added to your list. And you're like, oh God, it's now important. And it becomes so much harder. And then when you find something, you're like, oh yeah, but it doesn't have this, does it? And it's just, I just try desperately to be satisfied. And I'm aware of this paradox. And still, it's like, oh yeah, but nothing's ever perfect. Why not? Because <laughs> it's life, Simon. Carry on. Like this podcast, not perfect because of all these tangents. Let's go. Enter Nanny Doss, a woman you might easily mistake as someone your grandmother mother might have over for tea and cookies on a warm afternoon after church. That's very American. <laughs> cookies. 
church. Ah, in the UK, like tea and biscuits after um, bingo, maybe. <laughs> With a round face and a lovely smile, you'd think she wouldn't dare to fly, let alone another person. Looks can be deceiving, though, for if you knew anything that went on inside her head, you would run for the nearest police station. Known as the giggling granny, the lonely hearts killer, the jolly black widow, and Lady Bluebeard. Oh my god, Matt, you are giving these. I like the giggling granny as a title, but the lonely hearts killer is uh that's a good youtube title isn't it that's good that's gonna get some clicks good old nanny left behind a trail of bodies that she was meant to love and look after in this episode we're gonna jump into a case where the signs were all there and they were ignored for almost 30 years oh no and it's always like when it's one of these ones to say yeah they're on the loose for 30 years just gonna guess just gonna guess probably a little bit of police incompetence in this episode maybe could be possibly 30 years three decades <laughs> almost as long as i have been alive we'll dive deep into the darkness and come face to face with a monster wearing the face and the giggle of an innocent old lady when she is clearly anything but a youth longing for romance Born Nancy Hazel on November the 4th, 1905 in Blue Mountain, Alabama, Nanny was one of five children, including three sisters and a brother, born to Louisa Lou and James F. Hazel. Lou was very loving to her children, while James was extremely abusive and controlling, hated by both Nanny and her mother. Oh, look, what a surprise. Childhood trauma. Mm. Instead of sending his children to school, he forced them to work on their family farm, which led to stunted academic development for all his children. When Nanny was seven years old, her family were on their way to visit relatives in southern Alabama. It's here that we run into another common trend with serial killers. Good old-fashioned childhood head trauma. Also, not just, sorry, I meant like abuse. Like childhood abuse trauma. And I was also just throw some physical trauma in there. What was the episode we did? There was one a couple of months ago where some kid got knocked on the head and then he became weird. And you're like, oh god, <laughs> oh no. He was also abused, though, so, you know, it was just the whole pie of cereal. It was all, all of the ingredients that make the cereal killer pie. Young Nanny was thrown forward and slammed head into a metal bar on the seat in front of her. This affected her for years afterwards as she suffered from severe headaches, blackouts, and depression. With her life being so rigorously controlled by her overbearing father, Nanny found an escape in her mother's romance magazines. It was here that her obsession with this romance began. Dreams of a perfect life with a man of her dreams dancing around in her head. Her father, however, had other plans, doing everything within his power to stop Nanny from interacting with men. That's healthy. That's real healthy. Love that. Good stuff. For years, James forbade Nanny and her sister from wearing any makeup or attractive clothing and stopped them from going to dances and social gatherings for fear that they might be molested by men. That wouldn't last forever, though, as by age 16, Nanny had managed to find a man. Yeah, this is one of these, like, bro, bro, your kids are going to grow up at some point. And it's like, look, I, I get it. I'm a dad. And it's like, I, <laughs> it, especially when it's like they're younger than six, it's like, okay okay not nice in my like adult brain but it's also they're all just kids and yeah they could like each other do we have to just don't make it weird just don't make it weird and your kids won't grow up weird <laughs> i hope <laughs> mother says no love allowed Nanny was working at the Linen Thread Company in nearby Anniston, Alabama, when she met fellow employee Charlie Braggs. After only about four months of knowing him, and with her father's shocking encouragement, they got married. I think that's one of those things where he's going to be like, well, look, 
If you're going to go out frolicking with the opposite sex, you better be bloody married. Because, I don't know, Alabama, pretty south. We already had mention of church. It's going to be like, you boys and girls better be married first. That was the worst southern accent I've ever done. What was that first? <laughs> what was that, Simon? Get it together. Finally, Nanny had begun that fairy tale romance she always dreamed of. Or so she thought. Charlie, it turns out, was the only son of his unwed mother who insisted on staying with him even after his marriage. Wait. Oh, okay, so Nanny gets married to this Charlie dude, and Charlie's like, guess what, Nanny? Um, I find the name Nanny so weird because it's what I call my grandmother. My grandma was Nan and Nanny, and so it's weird. It's like, okay, so anyway, that show, they get married, and Charlie's like, guess what, Nanny? Uh, my my mum's going to live with us. I'm like, you what now? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> oh, we didn't discuss this, Charles. Come on. Nanny said of this, I married as my father wished in 1921 to a boy I only knowed about four or five months who had no family, only a mother who was unwed and who had taken over my life completely when we were married. That sounds like fun. She never seen anything wrong with what she'd done, but she would take spells. She would not let my own mother stay all night. Nanny, your English is, or writing, or whatever this is, is so hard to read. I'm like, am I, re- what are you, what are you actually saying? So she's just super controlling and she lives with them, which, uh, I mean, that's going to suck. With her mother-in-law taking up all of her husband's attention, Nanny began feeling more and more deprived and started drinking heavily. Her casual smoking habit also became a full-blown addiction. It's also suspected that both had other partners. They did manage to conceive four daughters, however, Melvina, Zelma, Gertrude, and Florine. Florine? Florine? <laughs> like the, the chemical? Okay, or elements? Florine? Noble gas? Right? Use your big brain, Simon, come on. Um, okay, great. Great relationship to bring some four children into the mix. Love that for you guys. In 1927, tragedy... And, you know, children fix all relationship problems, don't they? Oh, God. In 1927, tragedy struck the family as between August the 30th and September the 25th, both middle children, Zelma and Gertrude, passed away suddenly from suspected food poisoning. 1920s. It wasn't super common then for, like, children, you know, you, you this wasn't the times, like, 1700s, 1800s, when it was like, well, you better have 17 children because only one's gonna survive, which, just, good lord. And, yeah, food poisoning. I, I'm like... Already, I mean, because this is a casual criminalist, isn't it? It's like, who? Nanny's been, but she murdered her kids. They pissed her off and she murdered them, allegedly. Let's see. Husbands had suspicions that his wife had poisoned their girls and refused to eat or drink anything she served him while she was in a foul mood. Oh my god, if you think your wife is poisoning your children, it's like, no, 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 it's cool. I just, I don't eat the food when she's angry. The rest of the time, it's fine. Oh my god, you risk taker. It got to the point where he fled. Now, that seems pretty smart, taking the oldest, Melvina, with him, but leaving the youngest, Florine, in Nanny's care. Um, that seems like an error. Florine is going to die. Charlie has... <laughs> Charlie is like, ah, oh, I don't really like the... I don't really like Florine, so I'm just going to take Melvina, who I like. It's like, oh my... I make... I, I make this constant joke with my kids, like, with my wife, about my kids, and I realize I have to stop because they're getting old enough to understand. <laughs> But I just make this constant joke that I prefer one. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 I'll take, uh, we'll get her some ice cream. Because I prefer her. <laughs> and it's definitely a joke. I, I I love my children equally, except for the one I prefer. But I'm like, oh no, you've got to stop before they understand. 
<laughs> oh, it's like the older one definitely, she's getting there. The, the younger one's like six months old, seven months old, so he doesn't. But it's like, come on, <laughs> you, got, you got to stop. But it's such a good joke for me. My wife's like, stop it. <laughs> I just find myself hilarious. Uh, <laughs> Charlie has the lucky distinction of being the only husband that Nanny didn't get the chance to murder. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, and in 1928, Charlie found a new love interest divorcing Nanny that same year. After that, Nanny gained custody of both Malvina and Florine and moved in with her mother. Well, everyone's just got to live with their mother in this story, don't they? And also, Malvina, uh, her life just uh, it, it just went from like probably not going to be murdered by a parent to uh, definitely entirely possible she'll be murdered by a parent. Let's see. 16 years of death, and those odds just increased. It was a year later in 1929, Nanny met Jacksonville resident Robert Franklin Harrelson through the Lonely Hearts column, exchanging gifts and romantic poetry back and forth. It's a little bit different to today, isn't it? It's like, what do you exchange? Dirty messages on Tinder. Oh! <laughs> the two were married within the year, moving down to Jacksonville to be with her new man. Nanny's hopes and dreams of a fresh start and the perfect romance were again dashed. Only months after arrival, Robert was a violent alcoholic with a temper that landed him several assault charges in the past. Honestly, it sounds like you guys would get on. Because Nanny's also a violent alcoholic with, I mean, poisoning someone, I guess, would count as assault, wouldn't it? And that's the type of violence. Obviously, she's not, like, physically violent in the same way, but physical... Boy, poisoning definitely counts as physical violence. Why are you making apologies for today's antagonist, Simon? Despite the disappointment, they were able to make the marriage last for 16 years. Oh my god, I guess, you know, they, they do work together. It's like they're just violent together and poison. Oh god. In that time, Melvina had grown up, married a man by the name of Mosey Haynes, and given birth to her son, Robert Lee Haynes, in 1943. I... I, I am genuinely shocked and happily surprised. For a surprise, Malvina, you made it. You lived with a murderer for 16 alleged murderer, possibly poisoned her children. We don't know yet. Probably a definite murderer later on, right? I'm assuming this is where we're going because it's this section is called 16 Years of Death. Um, Look, she survived. That's great. Let's move on. Uh, fast forward two years and Melvina is expecting again, giving birth to her second child, a daughter. Sadly, this child wouldn't live long enough to be properly named. Melvina couldn't be sure if it was from the painkillers she had been pumped full of or simply from the exhaustion of labor, but she found it odd that through the haze she could have sworn she witnessed her loving mother driving a hairpin directly through the top of her newborn skull. What the f*** are you doing? That is insane. Um... I just, this is, this just, I don't know, it hits hard when you've got kids. Like, and you've been there in the delivery room, and you're just like, uh, well, one, I don't think that could possibly happen. Yeah, it could, could, it could totally happen in the modern world, because these are people you trust. It's like, yeah, why is this person in there? Because they're my mum. And they'll leave you, the nurses will leave you alone, because they, they're in the circle of trust. They wouldn't let some random person in off the street. The security's crazy in hospitals. I was really impressed. You've got to be, like, buzzed in. They're like, I, I went in there to drop off a bag for my wife, and I just uh, tailgated through the door. And I, I'm immediately confronted by a nurse, like, being like, hey, who are you? And I'm like, I'm here to see my wife. Who's your wife? And it's like, oh, my God. And then I was like, hey, what, what are you doing? And then I was like, oh, no. I'm actually, and then immediately I'm like, pleased it's like this. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not that fast. But later on, I was like, oh, good. And then like, you give birth and they're like, they're drawing like a big number on your kid. They're like immediately putting these labels on. They put a label on the mother and all of this. I was very like, 
this is nice no babies are getting swapped no babies are getting stolen but then when you got that circle of trust it's like you could see that happening which is insane and what the f- Speaking with her husband and Florine about it afterwards, it said that they noticed Nanny carrying a hairpin in her hands, though somehow the doctors were unable to determine the cause of death. Um, maybe, maybe look on the skull? Maybe? This is back in the day, though. They had x-rays and stuff, though, but how good are those at looking at a brain to see if it was damaged? I don't know. Let's carry on. Grief-stricken, Melvina and her husband began drifting apart until they separated completely. Eventually, she struck up another relationship, this time with a sailor that her mother didn't approve of. During a particularly heated argument with her mother, Melvina stormed out to stay with her father, leaving young Robert in his grandmother's care. Ah, uh, what in the actual even if you just had some vague, drugged-up memory of your mother murdering your child, even if you're like, I doubt it, I doubt it, like, that's one of those memories that you just don't trust, I'd still be, I'd still just be like, let's not, let's not leave the, let's not leave him with her. Let's just not do that, just in case, just in case. Even though it's maybe not real, even if there's a 10% chance, let's not do that. What are you up to? That seems insane. During the time that Melvina had started dating this new sailor fellow, Nanny had taken out a life insurance policy, oh god, on little Robert worth about $500 or about $8,000 in today's money. On July the 7th, 1945, Robert Lee Hayes died mysteriously while staying at his grandmother's house. I have no words. There's... It, it, one, the life insurance policy is... Don't take out life insurance policies on people you're going to murder. It's insane. Uh, you, it's it just looks so suspicious. It's that's absolute madness. Don't leave your children with a potentially murderous grandmother. Also, police, come on, let's go, let's go. This should be the end of this, but I know we're not even close to the end of this story. You fucks. The cause of death was listed as asphyxia, though the means was unknown. Only two months later, Nanny cashed in the $500 life insurance policy on her grandson. How do you get an $8,000 life insurance policy on a baby? I guess for, like, funeral expenses and, and such things, but... Wow. In 1945, World War II had come to its end, and the whole country was erupting into celebration. Being a raging alcoholic, Nanny's husband, Harrelson, was no different, taking every opportunity he could get to get smashed out of his gourd. <laughs> a little bit of levity. I do enjoy that. <laughs> I do enjoy that. I was smashed out of my gourd. So what are you planning to do this weekend? Well, I'm meeting up with my mates, and we're going to get absolutely smashed out of our gourds. <laughs> Love that shit. After one particular night of hard boozing it up, Harrelson came home and demanded sex from Nanny. When she refused, Harrelson simply decided to take what he wanted, raping his wife of 16 years while she kicked and screamed. This was 1945. Now, obviously, this is rape because rape is... Ooh, is rape defined by the fact that it's a crime or is it? does it have a definition outside of crime? Look, no one's debating whether this is rape. But marital spousal rape? wasn't illegal at least in the uk until like the fucking 80s or 90s or something it was like man could rape his wife and that wasn't rape until like i think i was alive when this law changed which is something that when i'm 90 and i'm just some old man and i'll be like telling my grandkids story or they'll like read something and be like whoa granddad was alive when men were allowed to rape their wives and he'll just be like holy fuck and i'll be like no 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 even back then it was crazy that that law existed it was that should have been gone out like a hundred years earlier but no 
crazy times am i right on that i'm not gonna look it up right now because i can't be bothered but let me know in the comments below if you're watching on youtube if you're listening as a podcast well just carry on passively listening because podcasts don't have comments which is kind of a shame in a way is it <laughs> is it he wonders the next day nanny was tending to her rose garden trying to recover from the whole, whole ordeal when she discovered harrelson's corn whiskey jar buried in her flower bed the depraved act of the night before had been the final straw for nanny vengeance in her heart she topped off the jar with a heaping of rat poison oh shit. by evening's end harrelson met death twisting and crying his body racked with agony his death was attributed to his long-time alcoholism and put down as natural and at this point i know nanny is like a serial killer she's murdered her children but for this guy uh, i think we have to do oh no <laughs> three four bluebeard at the door most of us at this point would expect someone to have called the police not only had this woman's husband died rather painfully but now we have up to four children who've passed away while under the care and all in uh, rather suspicious circumstances yeah it's like he died of alcohol poisoning what suddenly in the afternoon a part of a day isn't alcohol alcohol poisoning something that is like well your liver gets all ruined you go all yellow they're like well we can't give you a liver transplant because you're still addicted to alcohol it's like and this was also back in the day before liver transplants and all that stuff but it's not something that very quickly kills you in an afternoon is it that that's the sort of thing that poison does that maybe we should be looking into police just a little i mean because while you know i'm not super upset that he got poisoned to death i uh, also think that nanny needs to uh, be strapped into a chair and uh, you know this is alabama baby if there's one place i'm imagining in the states where they're like i imagine alabama alabama is that state no offense to anyone from alabama because this is not me this is like the media's portrait like hollywood's portrayal it seems to be in my mind that state that is most likely to still did you guys hear that noise outside that was super loud did something just blow up jesus anyway moving on um it seems to me that would be the state that would still be like today and it's like well boy you got a choice you can either do the needle oh we got the we we got old sparky still in the back <laughs> roll him out boys that's what most people would do but you would be giving these people way too much credit the doctors didn't call the police her daughters didn't call the police her first husband upon seeing his daughters dead on the kitchen floor did not call the police what that would be my first call it wouldn't be like oh my god this is so sad my daughter's dead i need some comfort from my family i'll be like police you get your fucking butts over here real fast I, i'm super logical i'll be like we're gonna get this motherfucker and now i'm gonna be sad but first action stupidity and negligence aren't strong enough words here and this woman was simply allowed to go about her life now searching for a new husband to fulfill her unrealistic fantasy soon after the death of harrelson nanny was traveling through lexington north carolina when she met her third husband arlie lanning through another lonely hearts column they were married after only three days and he was you guessed it oh what he's a womanizing alcoholic how, how what, what, what i mean how strange nanny has a type it seems however it would be she who would vanish for months on end only to play the doting housewife upon her return when ali passed away from supposed heart failure in 1950 the whole town threw their support behind the grieving widow his last words were reportedly it must have been the coffee um no <laughs> 
Not long after Ali's death, Al's nanny had been living and burnt to the ground, and nanny collected on the insurance money. Who could have predicted this? Shortly afterwards, Ali's mother, whose nanny, who nanny had been nursing due to a broken hip, died suddenly in her sleep, and nanny moved in with her bedridden sister, Dovey, who, had, who also short, died shortly after nanny arrived. Nanny, you are racking up the body count, mate. What the fuck? Nanny was once more on the hunt for her husband, joining the Diamond Circle Club, a dating service for older folks in Jamestown, North Carolina. She, she soon met Richard L. Horton, and they were married in Emporia, Kansas in 1952. While not an alcoholic, Horton was yet another womanizer, and it was not long after their marriage that he'd begun spending his nights with other women about town. Yeah, I don't think that happened just after the marriage. It's like, no, 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 I got married before I started womanizing. It's like, no, you've just been a womanizer and you just didn't stop. Before she could do as she wished with him, her mother Louisa came to live with them. But not letting anyone get in the way, Nanny poisoned her own mother in January 1953. Horton died only three days later after drinking a coffee laced with arsenic that Nanny had prepared for him. Well, he wasn't wrong about the coffee there was. He was just fucking poisoned. In that case, you'd be like, oh, it must have been the arsenic. Final husband finally captured. Ooh, okay. I mean, how many bodies did it take, Felice? Within months of Horton's death, Nanny had already got her sights set on husband number five. Samuel Doss was a Nazarene minister who had lost his previous family in Carroll County, Arkansas, to a tornado. The two of them were soon married in Tulsa, Oklahoma in June 1953. Now, Doss was not a womanizer, he was not an alcoholic or an abuser of any sort. It seemed that finally Nanny had found a man worthy of her long dream fantasies, and yet she still found faults in him. Yeah, of course she did, because everyone has faults. <laughs> There's like, there is no perfect, like, fantasy romance novel life out there. Uh, we talked about with my lengthy and pointless aside about houses earlier. Like, just, you gotta, you just gotta chill, guys. Just chill. It's cool. Nanny, you're, you'd have been way less murdery if you just, you know, just chilled a little bit. Can't we just all chill? He detested the romance novels and magazines she adored so much and forbade them in their home, and it seemed that this was enough to warrant her wrath. In September 1953, Nanny served Samuel a prune cake that she'd made herself. Uh-oh. That same day, he was rushed to hospital upon experiencing flu-like symptoms and was diagnosed with a severe digestive tract infection. How they were unable to detect a large quantity of arsenic in his system is anyone's guess. After a successful treatment, <laughs> it's not the police that are incompetent today, it's the medical staff. After a successful treatment, Samuel was taken to home to recover on October the 5th, 1954, with his smiling wife by his side. Oh, no where he would die no on october the 12th thanks to an arsenic filled coffee much like her other husband's this was nanny's biggest mistake however she'd taken out two separate life insurance policies on samuel and she'd let her greed get the best of her and honestly at this point who can blame her because she's been getting away with this for years she's done the insurance scam before at very least on a baby and another one on a house and she's like yeah, let's just try doubling up it's like one of those things where it's like one well, no one see it's like when you're not caught she's just you just escalate Jesus Christ. In killing Samuel only a week after he'd returned from the hospital, it finally aroused suspicion. Good lord, at last. The doctor who treated Samuel during his stay raised the alarm almost as soon as he'd heard the news. Ordering an autopsy, he found an enormous amount of arsenic in his system, and he alerted the police. If only he'd found that arsenic before, mate. <laughs> How? 
Nanny Doss was finally arrested for the murder of Samuel Doss that same day. Under interrogation, it was only upon the promise of being able to keep one of her romance magazines that Nanny Doss finally confessed to killing four of her five husbands, her mother, her sister, her mother-in-law, and her grandson. Good lord. She did not confess to the deaths of her daughter or granddaughter, however. During the confessions, particularly when concerning the deaths of her husband, Nanny simply smiled and giggled the whole time while recounting the horrid events disturbing the investigators and earning her her most famous nickname the giggling granny upon further investigation and questioning it was revealed that nanny had already lined up a potential husband number six it was found that she had been exchanging romantic letters with a dairy farmer out of north carolina by the name of john h keel she'd even sent him a cake <laughs> never eat anything this woman sends you this one says i was listening to a podcast a while back and uh, they were like can you please stop sending baked goods like to our office because we can't eat them and i'm like wait and then i'm like oh because you're famous and you might be poisoned by this random shit it's like you can send sealed stuff from companies and stuff like this but we can't eat a random cake you sent to our office because unfortunately there are crazy people and i'm like oh my god that makes so much sense <laughs> people have sent me like all sorts of chocolates and shit and I mean, like, that they've always been sealed. I never even gave it a second thought that someone could want to poison me. I don't encourage it. Please don't send me stuff. And I don't have, like, a P.O. box, so it's pretty hard. I'm mighty proud that I didn't meet her and she didn't come down here, John told investigators when they contacted him. From now on, I'm through with these women who make their matches by mail. What are you proud of? You totally would have done this if she wasn't arrested. Are you, like, claiming that this was somehow your genius move, John? you would have been murdered just as the rest of them you just you just got lucky because she got arrested before you what are you doing when asked about her motive nanny simply giggled and denied it ever being about money even if the insurance money might say otherwise in her words it was always about love and that her romance magazines and novels had a profound effect on her psyche and how she viewed the world i was searching for the perfect mate the real romance in life when asked about her conscience after each killing now that she'd been caught she simply replies clear the end of romance despite her full confession nanny was charged with the murder of samuel the death penalty was not on the cards for this one, much to Simon's chagrin, I'm sure, as her gender disqualified her from giving be given something back such a thing back in the day. Come on! <laughs> this, this is one of those things, it's like gender equality, what the fuck the past? If we're hanging men, should we should be hanging women? <laughs> Uh, instead, upon pleading guilty on May the 17th, 1955, Nanny Doss was sentenced to life in prison and was remanded to Oklahoma State Penitentiary. As she was taken from the courtroom, Nanny looked at her daughters with a smile and a giggle. Take it easy. Don't worry. I'm not. What are you talking about? After two years in prison, Nanny admitted that she would have preferred the death penalty. Regardless, she kept up her cheerful attitude and eerie giggle the whole time while behind bars. When interviewed by a reporter, she admitted the only job she was allowed to do was laundry, and when asked if she could work in the kitchen, she was simply told no. <laughs> of course she was, because she would uh, shit boy. What the fuck? Nanny Doss died of leukemia age 59 within the hospital ward of the prison on June the 2nd, 1965, only 10 years into her life sentence she was laid to rest in oak hill memorial park in McAllister, oklahoma wrap up and that brings our tale to an end a tale of romance heartbreak greed and murder as we step out of the darkness i don't want to leave you all with the sense that trying to find true love is a bad thing quite the contrary love is something we all deserve mm, sweeping statement there there are some dickheads who probably don't
We've seen several of them in this episode. Romance is an important part of life, but just don't become so obsessed with it that you end up killing all of your lovers if they don't live up to your standards. Yes, an important message for what I hope is a very small fraction of our audience. Nanny Dost was a deeply disturbed woman with a deeply warped view of how life works. She believed that she was destined for the perfect fantasy with the love of her life, and when she didn't get that, she killed without a second thought and felt justified when doing it. She could have divorced her husband, she could have simply left, and in the case of Harrelson, she could have called the police, but she didn't. She resorted to murder instead. Anyone who got in her way, she killed them too, and some she simply killed because they would be more beneficial to her dead than alive. Anything that would benefit her and give her the means to survive long enough to potentially find Mr. Wright, she would not hesitate, and in the end, all she was destined for was a prison cell. So, dear viewers, whether you're out there looking for love or if you found it already with a loving partner, hold on to it, treasure it, and take the bad with the good. Everyone has their faults, and more often than not, despite what Nanny believed, they damn sure aren't worth killing over. <laughs> Matt, did you just say more often than not they're not worth killing over? How about no murder, Matt? How about we don't encourage don't no, no murder. Just no murder. <laughs> Please, come on. Don't be the antagonist of a future casual criminalist episode, okay? This has been an episode of The Casual Criminalist. If you liked it, please do. Uh, if you're listening as a podcast, leave us a review. That would be fantastic. I see those. We've got like thousands of reviews now, and I love it. And uh, well, thank you for watching or listening as you do. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.